This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Why should you care if you're not fat? Does that affect you? Damn right it does. Yes, you have to care. How does your sugar consumption, how does your obesity affect me? 274 million a year extra in jet fuel, who cares? Discomfort on the subway because the fat person takes up two seats instead of one, who cares? Sinking of boats due to the weight. A ferry sank in Lake George, no one cares. That ain't it. So what is it? How about $65 billion reduction in productivity due to obesity? How about 50% increase in absenteeism due to obesity? How about $147 billion in health care costs due to the metabolic syndrome? How about three surgeons general and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff have declared obesity a threat to national security because people who try to join the armed forces are turned away because of obesity. Does that affect you? Yes, your obesity affects me. Even if you're not obese, you are dramatically affected in every way by our society having an epidemic of obesity. And it's affecting the economic balance. It's, it's almost like a, an energy balance on an individual level that has gone to a societal level that permeates both the economic and environmental kind of medium that we all live in and are affected by on a daily basis. The one thing I do know is that we cannot control behavior. We never have and we never will. There is physiology, there is biochemistry underlying every single behavior. And the question is, how long do you think you can exert a cognitive inhibition on a biochemical drive that's going 24-7, 365? Bottom line, we can't control behavior. We never could. When it comes down to it, our hired wiring, our evolutionary biology that determines our survival and our energy balance, it uh, overrides our volition and our will in many cases. And obesity is a perfect example of that because when people get in front of a highly palatable food environment, the brain sends the strongest signals it has for us to quickly and impulsively eat that highly palatable food. So I think that part of the solution is that we have to realize it's not up to the individual, it's up to us as a society. And we absolutely need food policy changes. The, e the economics of food determine how fat our cells are. The fact is, we've had numerous public health measures that have been imposed upon us. Initially, to our great dismay, consternation, and antagonism. And now, not only do we accept them as just part of daily life, but we embrace them.
examples. Fluoridation of water for cavities. Childhood immunizations. These are all things that were anathema when they were first brought up. And now they're just a fact of life. In fact, that's what public health is. Public health identifies an exposure where mass behavioral change is going to be required. A mass environmental alteration is going to be needed in order to be able to accomplish it and institutes it for the benefit of society. Not the individual, but for society. When you have something that's toxic and abused at the same time, nicotine, ethanol, cocaine, amphetamine, heroin, morphine, cannabis. That's when regulation has to kick in. And for sugar, which does all of these things, it's both toxic and abused. It's unavoidable and it has negative impact on society. For sugar, we have nothing. Sugar-sweetened beverages, whether it's soda or fruit juice that's um, been sweetened, is absolutely a culprit. I mean, we know that from study after study. It's, they're delicious, and they're 100% discretionary calories. Discretionary calories means they're extra calories. And right now, no one in America really has, in their caloric budget, any discretionary space. None of us need the extra soda. So working with industry, whether it's banning soda from the schools, banning soda from certain areas, or putting a tax on soda, something does need to be done to help wake up everyone to the fact that soda and sugar-sweetened beverages in general are not useful. Which is more important, the rights of the individual or the rights of society? And let me tell you, people say, I am trying to scoff on the rights of the individual. Not at all. In fact, I think I'm actually trying to protect them. Here's why. Because currently, in the store, 80% of the food has been laced with sugar. This limits consumer choice. In fact, you can't go into a poor neighborhood in America and get something that's not processed and that is laced with sugar. They don't have availability. Now, whose fault is that? Is that the fault of the poor person? If you have no choice, how can it be personal responsibility? I'm actually trying to reverse that. People say, I'm for the nanny state. Far from it. I'm actually trying to reverse the nanny state because the nanny state is already here. We've already been told what to eat by the food industry. And we've gone along with it because it's sweet. We just need to turn the economics of food and agriculture upside down and completely reverse the incentive system so that we're incentivizing healthy food and sustainable farming and taxing the subsidized food, which is killing us. The corn everywhere, the high fructose corn syrup. Public health officials consider regulation when four criteria are met. Unavoidability, we've got that. Toxicity, I've explained that. Abuse, I've explained that. 
And finally, number four, negative impact on society, what we in public health call externalities. How does your sugar consumption or your obesity affect me? All the criteria for societal intervention are met. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.